Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast, Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with Stealth Cam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure to check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. Sounds good. All right. Well, you ready to get this thing rolling, Paul? I'm ready. All right. Well, Paul, first and foremost, want to welcome you to the Hunt Stand Podcast. This is the first time we've had you on. We've done some master classes and stuff, but welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Will. I appreciate being here, buddy. Yeah, man. I'm excited to get you on here and kind of talk turkey hunting and talk your story a little bit. I know you and I met eons ago on a long sp- time ago. Yeah, spring turkey hunt, long time ago in South Texas. So it's kind of funny how things come for full circle and how small our industry is. It really is. It's a tight knit group. I mean, people, you know, and a turkey hunter is pretty much the same, no matter what part of the country you go in They're They're yeah. passionate. They're, they're focused on what they want to do. They, they, they love the calling and they love the camaraderie and, you know, turkey hunters are turkey hunters. Oh yeah. And we're definitely addicted to that. We lose a lot of sleep this time of year. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, Paul, the, one of the things I like to do to get each of these podcasts started is I have what I call a 30-foot tree stand view. It's kind of like that 30,000-foot view that I like for the the guests to give the listener, you know, just kind of that backstory on you know who you are, where you're from, how okay. you've gotten to where you are in life. So tell us about Paul Butsky, man. All right. Well, started back uh, when uh, I've, I've, I've hunted my whole life, ever since I've been old enough to hunt back in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm old. Yeah, I'm old. So 29 years <laughs> old, man. Yeah. And older than that. I'm actually going to, I'm 69 years old. Really? <laughs> yeah. I would not have so, guessed that, man. I've been doing it a long time, been around a long time. Um, you know, I started, my, my dad really wasn't, wasn't a hunter. He was a fisherman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did a little bit of hunting, but, uh, mainly my uncles and cousins did a lot of hunting yeah. back in the day. And I got started, you know, with them actually since i was old enough to hunt uh in in new york state there really wasn't even there wasn't a spring season yet i mean there was a fall season so i started off fall turkey hunting back in the you know late 60s early 70s and then i think it was 72 maybe was our first spring turkey season okay so uh i've been doing it ever since it's it started i guess you would say um got involved with that um did really, you know, started a good friend of mine, Ernie Calandrelli. We started, uh, he got me involved in a turkey calling competition back in, the, you know, like 77, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to my first turkey calling contest in Owego, New York, which is out in, in the mid part of the state, in the southern part of the state. Okay. But people got a little misconception in New York. They think New York, they think you're New York City. And, and it's really not that way. I. I mean, we've got some of the most beautiful hardwoods you'll ever see. And, uh, you know, where I live in the southern tier of the southern part of the state, from east to west across the whole state is nothing but, you know, hardwoods, trout streams and stuff like that. You yeah. know, then you got your pocket of New York City that's down over here and, you know, western New York and that kind of stuff. But it's pretty it's pretty wild for the most part, mm-hmm. unless you're in the big cities. But, uh, you know, I did my first and I, it was an amateur contest and I won it. And that got me hooked. I mean, I I, got, I was hooked from there on. Became really good friends with uh, with Dick Kirby, who was mm-hmm. he was really just getting started. Quaker Boy Game Calls. Yeah. And uh, I was actually a machinist at the time, and we went on strike. I'll never forget this. Back in '77 or '78, we went on strike, and Dick was going to a, his first shot show, and he needed some help. So I went and, and helped him. Me and my wife actually went. And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up never going back to work where I was at and and uh, started working at Quaker Boy Game Calls, making turkey calls. I'd be in a basement making calls, and Dick Kirby was upstairs cutting hair. He was a barber. Really? So I was making the calls, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And about 1980... 81, I won my first U.S. Open. Okay. Uh, and I developed a call back then. You know, being around all these calls, I was making all these calls. And pretty much all the turkey calls back then were like solid, readed, you know, singles, doubles, triples. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one called an old boss hen. It had a little split on the side. <clears throat> I started monkeying around with a call since I had access to it, like I did. And uh, I notched out a read in the back read, and I added a fourth read. So I made a four-read cutter-style call, I called it, because it cut really well, like a like a hen turkey. It really cut. 
and it was raspy and pretty much nobody was really calling raspy that raspy back then. So in 1981, I, I went out there and blamed Pennsylvania and called and, uh, and those old Pennsylvania boys were hardcore turkey hunters back then too. <clears throat> you know, Robbie and, and, and Terry Rom, the Rom brothers are mm -hmm. pretty popular. <clears throat> Dick Smith and those kind of people were really big. Dale Rom, <clears throat> they were really big in, uh, in the turkey hunting too. And, uh, I scored really well when I cut, you know, I did as a favorite call. I cut and I, you know, it kind of, at that time, kind of blew everybody away because it really sounded turkey. Yeah. So that really, that really kicked it off then. Uh, yes, you know, I've won hundreds of turkey calling contests through the years and, uh, pretty much, you know, my claim to fame on some of the turkey calls were, you know, I won Levi Garrett All-American Open was a big deal back then. Mm -hmm. You know, Ben Ben Rogers Lee, um, he's, you know, synonymous in the turkey world. Ben was a great guy. He passed away. But uh, after being a Quaker boy for about four or five years, I went with Ben Lee for a couple of years and then went back with Quaker boy. And then in 1986, I, I went in business myself, Butsky Game Calls. But the calling aspect of it never died. I mean, it was through the 80s. It was just nonstop. With, I won a Masters, uh, Levi Garrett All-American Opens, three Grand National Championships, six U.S. Open Championships. And that pretty much near the end of the 80s and in the early 90s, I pretty much told myself, okay, I won my sixth U.S. Open, but I won the fifth U. And the U.S. Open was a really big contest back then. Mm -hmm. And I won it the fifth year in a row. I says, if I win this, I says, I want to go out on top. I'm going to kind of quit the competition. End of it. Yeah. Because all I could do is lose at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I won it. And I, I pretty much got out of the calling aspect of it, mm -hmm. a competition end of it then. And it just turkey hunted my whole life. Uh, I've. I, I pride myself on introducing people to the sport, young kids, mm -hmm. uh, people that have never experienced it, you know, women and stuff like that, or just outdoor people, celebrity people. I, I was fortunate enough. I called Roy Rogers and the only turkey ever killed back in the, back in the nineties. Serious. But I hunted a lot of celebrities, but that was, that was, that was like the coolest guy really that, uh, that I had. And that was down in Texas. Heck yeah. So it's, it was all cool. And, and, you know, and, and, to this day, I mean, <clears throat> I start hunting generally in March, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm hunting either Florida. I guided the Southern Sportsman's Hunting Lodge in Alabama for, God, 35 years, which are great friends of mine, Jim Mason and Dave Lyon. They're, you know, they're like brothers to me, and they yeah. run the Southern Sportsman's Hunting Lodge. And I, I used to go down there, and I'd guide the swamps. I loved hunting the swamps. And here I'm a New York boy, and, and I loved hunting these swamps <laughs> in Alabama. <laughs> so... I really cut my teeth and learned a lot in in those kind of scenarios. But I, you know, I, I turkey hunt from beginning of March, and our season goes the month of May, so it's pretty much you know almost three months of, of turkey hunting. Yeah, traveling around the country. Man, you can't complain about that. So <laughs> you're pretty much a Tom Brady of turkey calling, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> Not I don't have his money though. <laughs> and, except the only difference is you went out on top and he tried to go another year after winning yeah. a Super Bowl didn't yeah, work out yeah, too pretty good. Much. <laughs> well, there you go, man. Well, I know I know you kind of talked about it a minute ago when you first got into the turkey column, but what kind of spurred you to get started with getting into the turkey calling contest? My buddy Ernie Calandrelli, he went to a contest like like six months before 
this one came up. Yeah. And he, me and Ernie grew up together. He, uh, you know, we went to junior high school together. We've always hunted and always used to share stories of duck hunting and different, you know, deer hunting, which we did a lot of. And, you know, I got into the calling end of it. And I mean, we, I turkey hunted. I had turkey hunted with my, but I was never really involved in competition calling. Yeah. Well, Ernie had gone to this turkey calling contest, uh, you know, like half a year or three quarters of a year before I went to this one and dragged me to that one. And that's, that's, that's what really kicked it off. I never looked back once I started and, uh, you know, I, I, I had won and it was like, man, it became a passion mm-hmm. after that it really did. Man, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, I've, I've got a good friend that, uh, he's been a world elk calling champion and it's, mm-hmm. he, he kind of has like that same thing where, you know, he hunted elk called and he had a buddy that was like, dude, you're really good. You need to do this. And it's kind of like that same story that he had mm-hmm. a buddy that got him into it and, you know, like you, he just never turned back. Yep. Man. That's... And it became a career. You know, I, 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 I went in business myself in 86. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, worked with Bob Walker, Walker's game here. Mm-hmm. The original game here. Bob, yeah. me and Bob were good friends back in the late eighties. And, uh, I helped him out a lot and helped him at shows and stuff like that. And we kind of teamed up, uh, you know, my calls and his, his game ears. But then his gamers really took off. So, yeah. so I ended up working for, for him for yeah. a while. And then uh, eventually GSM bought Walker's Game Ear. Yeah. GSM Outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I was actually part of the package when uh, when it was purchased back in, uh, it's been about 16, 17 years ago now. Man. So I've been with GSM Outdoors for for that long now. So great mm-hmm. guys, great people, great friends i mean they're out you know out of texas oh yeah and uh you know just just great people they are they are we got their family we got to have some meetings and stuff and meet everybody not long ago so it was, it was great to meet everybody would you have um looking back when i guess you could say your career started you know after the strike and mm-hmm. you start working at quaker looking back now obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but Back then, put yourselves back in younger Paul's shoes. Would you have ever thought that things would have gotten to where they are now? Never. <laughs> no. no. Never. Never dreamed that, uh, you know, I, I I always dreamed of it because I always loved to hunt. Mm-hmm. I loved it. So I always dreamed of At one point, I thought maybe I'd be a, you know, a game warden or just move to Alaska. You know, as I'm talking as a teenage kid. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You know because I love to hunt so much and I love the outdoors, but never did I think that it would get to, uh, <laughs> the calling end of it would get to give me the opportunities that, and open the doors that I've had throughout the years. You know, I got to meet so many people and hunt so many different States and so many people that, I mean, did that I've guided that, you know, just were kind of at the top of their game and whatever field they were, whether a country Western singer or whether a baseball player, a football player. Mm -hmm. So it opened the doors and I got to meet so many different, really popular people in in the industry, even like I said, Roy Rogers, but there's been so many people that I've guided and and hunted with. And it just, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how, what it opened up. It's yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. You know, what your passions can lead you to one day. Mm-hmm. You never know where they're going to lead you. You know, in talking about all these people that you've 
guided and that you've gotten to hunt with and then including your own hunting experiences, what would you kind of define as your most memorable turkey hunt out of all those just oh god there's so many i could you know that's the thing about the turkey hunt. i mean i've been involved in so many hunts mm-hmm. <clears throat> that were successful and a lot that weren't successful yeah but so many hunts with different people and different celebrities or, or, or kids that really you know meant a lot to me and that i guided and just pick one particular hunt uh, it's just so hard because you know i could rem- if somebody I haven't seen in 20 years that I guided on a hunt in Alabama or something like that mentions. Yeah. Remember Paul, I hunted with you. We went out there, but they could say it and it'll trigger that memory. And I'll remember that specific hunt, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, because I've been involved in so many of them, but you know, guiding like Roy Rogers was really a a thrill for me. Um, You know, just taking kids out that, were really close to me. My, mm-hmm. my grandkids taking them out turkey hunting. I mean, those are so memorable and, and things that, you know, just uh, the memories. And, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times these hunts weren't successful, but, you know, I tell people in turkey hunting, you don't have to kill a turkey every time you go in the woods. You know, some of the most memorable hunts I've had were, you know, I've thrown a kitchen sink at, tried this, and hours <laughs> later, yeah. boom, that turkey spook and go the other direction. I mean, you yep. still had a successful hunt as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that, but yeah, I I can't honestly say one specific particular hunt that really sticks out in my mind because every one of them is you know, you wish you had thirty people you know sitting next to you to see what you just saw. But, yeah, you know it's just you and that bird and you and that bird and that person that was with you. That's that's what makes it so memorable. How many hunts or not? Not how many hunts? How many turkey kills? successes successful hunts would you say you've been on including your own over the years like if, if you could put a number on it if i could put a number on it i honestly couldn't say for the simple fact i hunted multiple states probably for the last 40 years of turkey hunting mm-hmm. and you know I've, I've hunted you know alabama georgia and, and tennessee and and then i would hunt the midwest i would hunt kansas and in Nebraska and different and maybe South Dakota and places like that, then end up in, you know, kind of Texas and maybe Oklahoma in that particular area. And then the odd trips, you went out to Montana and different places like that. And yeah. then always ended up back in the Northeast and hunting New York and Pennsylvania, Vermont, Maine, different States like that. So I would probably have to go back and just multiply different States and, <laughs> and, and kind of, do that and the amount of years i've been doing it for 50 years Gosh. so that's that's hard to put a number on stuff like that it really is as far as the actual kills i never i was never in the keeping track like that myself like 300 400 500 oh, yeah. easy oh yeah God, thousand easy oh yeah i would say a thousand yeah. or, or more definitely wow. <laughs> through the years i mean if you're talking 30 or 40 or you know 50 birds a year yeah, maybe not a thousand. Maybe no. It's probably like five, five hundred to eight hundred, maybe birds. Man, it's a lot of turkeys. It's a lot of turkeys. That's a lot of calling. It's a lot of turkeys. That's a lot of calling. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not the threat to them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I think you might be. Oh, uh, so I kind of want to come back to the the turkey competitions. Uh, mm-hmm. How difficult 
would you say it is now to get into the competitive landscape of that? Well, the best way to do that is you really have to to go to like a grand, you know, National Wild Turkey Federation Grand National Championship mm-hmm. and see the caliber of callers that are out there. And, you know, they're, they're calling us a great calling right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, Matt Van Sice is on top of the game and, you know, people like that. And, you know, then they'll kind of give you a level of where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. You know, do you see, you kind of take a temperature of where you are in, in, in that realm. You know, what do you sound as good as, or listen to some of the different tapes, or actually you can go online and watch the Grand Nationals. You don't have to actually go there. And then you can listen to the caliber of, uh, of callers that are out there. And, and then you just, it's, it's practice. I mean, I, you know, I used to, when I was at work, I'd always have a turkey call. But when I was really getting involved in the competition end yeah. of it, always have a call in my mouth that drive people crazy. And, you know, but, you know, you got to mimic. And, and what turkey, the best turkey callers are the ones that you're not mimicking this person, you're trying to mimic that turkey. Yeah. You know, early on, a lot of years, a lot of guys would try to sound like this particular person. But when I was doing it, I would spend time in the woods and try to mimic the actual turkeys, not a, not a person. Yeah. And and because that's what kind of adds the personality to the call. It kind of puts the realistic tone and realistic little things that you do that makes the difference. And, 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 and if someone's judging a turkey calling contest, you know, they're listening for a sound and they listen for, you know, those little, maybe the little things that you throw in there that maybe, okay, th- this sounds real to me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I judge a contest. This sounds real. And, you know, you score that person that much higher because of it. Man, it's it's interesting that you you talk about that. Like it's better, like you listen to the turkeys themselves versus trying to replicate what a person's doing. Because right. I have found myself doing that when I'm out turkey hunting. Like especially this morning when I was out in the woods, I was looking back on a specific hunt where I had a hen come in looking for us. I mean, she was within four or five yards of us. Like I probably could have thrown a leaf at her. And I just remember <laughs> the sounds that she was making. And how she was yelping and how long and her cadence and what she was doing. And those are the things I look back on when I'm trying to call on a turkey, thinking about her trying to sound like her to get him to come in. That's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head and and you mimic that. But a lot of times, you know, you you forget it. So sometimes it's a repetitious of things. You know, you hear these turkeys and, you know, you like if I got hens near me, Mm -hmm. I can mimic a, a lot of the little sounds they have. And I wish I could, I wish I recorded a lot of it. And some of it I did through the years, but I recorded a lot of it where I say, man, that's, that's the best I ever sounded. <laughs> I tell myself, <laughs> you know what I mean? But then you go, uh, you know, a year or two goes by, another year goes by, and you kind of forget some of that stuff. Yeah. So it's good to always refresh your memory because those little things that you do put in there, those little half yelps, little squeaks, I need a little thing like that that just adds, you know, just a little bit of realistic sound to it. And, and, and I think that works in the hunting aspect as well. I mean, oh, yeah. you don't, I, I've said this before, you don't have to be a champion turkey caller to be a good turkey hunter, but, you know, woodsmanship is by far the no, number one most important factor. Um, putting yourself in the right spot and when to call, when not to call. These are little things that, you know, you, you learn through experience. But putting those little sounds in there that, you know, if you got a gobbler that's hung up out there 60, 70 yards and, 
you add that little bit of realistic tone, you know, then it's mm-hmm. that gobbler's out there and he's uh, all right, I got to go check that out. Yeah. You know what I mean, so absolutely. It makes the difference. Yeah, and it's like, I'll have to send you the clip from a bird we killed this past week, and I picked up a sound that these two toms did when they came in, and it was it was, it was a purr, but yeah. I'd never heard a purr like this before, and I'm sure you have, and so I've got to send it to you, because I'm like, man, I need to figure out how to replicate that, because <laughs> I cannot do it to save my life. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, I've always been intrigued by the calling competitions and how those work. Uh mm. I mean, how you, you're talking about judging, and you know, a judge is looking at and listening specifically on on how that competitor is calling. I mean, kind of walk us through, walk the listeners through, you know, how a competition works. You know, is it? I think some people have a, a not necessarily misconception, but when they look at a calling contest, they think they just go out there and you guys are giving your best sequence, but you know we've talked before this that there's certain parts to the calling competition that all get put together into one. So right. walk us through what a typical competition is like. Well, a competition is they'll generally ask for like five different calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. And generally you run two series of that call. Like if you did some yelps, you know, and pause for a couple seconds and then do that repetition again. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done with your call, the second sequence that you do, you give a nod to the judge, to the MC, and then he'll ask for the next call. Now the judges themselves generally are faced the opposite direction or have a curtain. So they don't, they don't see who the caller is because let's face it, that, that can get pretty political. Oh you yeah. Know, if you got judges in there that their buddies, you know, the caller and stuff like that. And they, and then, you know, or if they're listening for a certain caller, you got to be careful of that. So a judging a contest really is, is only as good as the judges are that are judging it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because you get your, your butt kicked and <laughs> you ended up in last place doesn't mean you're the worst caller. And maybe that particular contest, there was judges in there that maybe knew some of the people or it, you really don't know. Mm-hmm. But on a higher scale... You know, when you get into like national calling championships, generally, um, you know, they get some pretty judges, you know, geographically from different parts of the country. Yeah. And 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 guys, they know that are really no turkey sounds and and get them to judge. And then, you know, these guys aren't listening for one particular caller. They're listening for actual turkey sounds. So after they go through these whole sequences, generally there's there's. A panel of judges could be seven judges or five judges, whatever it may be, and they'll throw out the high and the low score. So kind of then then they add the the other scores together. Mm-hmm. This way, if you know, my you know, you were calling, I know it's you, Will, and I'm going to give you all tens across the board <laughs> because I know you and you're a friend. Yeah. But you know that eliminates that. You yeah. Know what I'm saying so mm-hmm. eliminates that by throwing out the high and the low score or somebody that might not like you. <laughs> you know, I'm going to give them all these low scores. So. So Man. that that's what makes it a little more fair that way. Have you gotten to be a judge yourself? Oh, I was a judge a long, a lot of times, a lot of times. Do you still get asked and to I, do that? I don't mind judging, but it just depends. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you get a bunch of callers, you know, it gets it gets old listening to, to <laughs> you know some of the sounds and a lot. Some guys that might not sound too great, and but then all of a sudden, man, you get a caller out there that sounds really good. I mean. Generally, that'll spike the scoring up there, and then you get some other people that 
you know, after that, that kind of drop off on the calling aspect. And yeah. sometimes the level of, of, of scoring stayed high until the next good guy that really comes up there. So it is subjective. It is subjective. That's why I say you can't get discouraged if you get your butt kicked in a contest because, you know, I've been in contests. I'm, I'm Levi Garrett All-American Open. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I, it was the most money they gave away at the time. It was in 1983, I think it was. I won $5,000 in a turkey calling contest. They give that much money away for first place. But the preliminary round, there was like 50 or 60 callers. And they took the top 28, and I finished 28th on the first day. So I just made the cut. And the the next day on the finals, I won. So that's what I mean. It could be subjective. It could be, you know, you just don't know. So you can't get discouraged because, you, like I said, I, I just made the cut the first day. And there's been times in the National Wild Turkey Federation, you know, I might have finished fifth or sixth and then mm-hmm. in the first round and then come back and won the finals. But, yeah. you know, you know, kind of talking on the competitions, you know, for let's say we got a listener out there young guy or gal that, you know, they love turkey hunting and they want to get into it or, you know, they are in it. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to that person that is trying to get better and they're out there competing? Like, what what's your best piece of advice for that person? Okay, the biggest thing is be comfortable with your calls. Mm-hmm. You know, be confident, be comfortable. Try not to let's let's face it. I used to get nervous as heck when I go out there. Sometimes yeah. you know you got to a room full of, you know, a thousand people, 2000 people in, a, in an audience and stuff like that. And you get out there and you don't want to make mistakes. You don't want to screw up. So mm-hmm. be practice your routines, practice it down to, you know, down to a, like, you know, it like the back of your hand. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Know it and be comfortable with it. And, you know, try to block out the audience. Don't over call. Mm-hmm. Don't ever end on a bad note. That's a big thing. You know, a lot of times you might yelp and go through a series and you finish, uh, throw one more series in her and then quit. Don't do that. Don't end on a bad note. If you make a squeak, always cover it up or go, go a little bit beyond it because that's the last thing they're going to remember is that last little squeak, that last little miss that you might have made. Yeah, you could have now, a whole, Turkeys yeah. do miss and turkeys do do this kind of stuff but they do they don't end on those bad notes usually so <laughs> that's true that is very true yeah I've, i heard some funky gobbles and yelps before i'm like oh what was oh, that yeah. they could fool you there's no doubt about it turkeys they they they'll fool you you think you got some guy sneaking in the worst caller in the world and be a turkey come walking up oh yeah so you've got you've got that where you know don't end on bad notes. And, you know, obviously I feel like the biggest thing is just practice and repetition, right? Repetition. And that's, that, that is it. Repetition. Do your routine, have your routine down to a science, you know, you know, your, your series of clucks, your series of purrs, your series of yelps, your series of kikis, all those. And you know how you're to do those because a lot of times if you over call to it, if you, if you hit it and do it twice and hit it good, Man, do not try to do anymore because mm-hmm. if, you know, a guy, sometimes they put time limits on these things. But if you're taking that time limit to the max, the judge is sitting there getting, uh, okay, that's enough. Okay, we're, I, I'm giving you an eight, you know, and they keep going and the guy gets worse. And, okay, now he's going to get a six now. 
You know what I mean? So yeah. just keep it and always try to end on a, on a higher note and don't overcall to a judge because they'll, they'll dock you most of the time. When you're practicing, how do you know you sound good? Are you getting somebody to listen to you? You recording yourself? Like how do, you, how do you know that? Both. I it, mainly recording yourself is the, is the thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you don't, you know, when you call, you don't, you really don't sound like that. Or you got to watch too what what microphones and whatnot. You make sure you keep it at a distance because a lot of times you think you sound really good and you are, and yet on the recording it doesn't sound that good because maybe it's distorted a little bit because you're too close to the microphone or so. Always always do it at a little record at a distance because you know when you hear turkeys and you hear some callers, yeah, uh, you know. You hear the maybe huffing and getting the air and that, and <laughs> you know, and and you wouldn't hear that at a little distance. So mm-hmm. you know, always always do this at a little distance and record yourself. And then you know, you you've always had like my friend Ernie Calandrelli, who we teamed up forever. We'd always listen to each other and critique each other and stuff like that. And Dick Kirby and whatnot. He yeah. always we critique each other. This particular call sounds better in this call. This call sounds better in that call. You know, and and that all helps. And it's always good to have somebody like that with you if you're really getting serious about your turkey calling competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, those are all good valid points. And I mean, I feel like there's there's definitely gonna be somebody listening that's getting into it that they're definitely gonna take a lot of that and not forget that. <laughs> so since we're talking about calling, I, I, I want to get in, get into calling a little bit and I want to give people what they want. So I know, cause I know they're going to want to hear you call here in a little bit on this podcast, but something I was looking up, uh, before we podcast today is this unique style of Turkey calling that you've developed over the years. And we were talking about this right before we hopped on, but the Buttsky Yelp kind of give, <laughs> give the listeners a little taste of what that sounds like. And then kind of, Walk us through how you developed that over the years. Well, the Yelp like that is 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 with a cutter style call. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a it's a cut read that that read that back read is notched out. It's got a cut out of it. I don't know if you can see it. Yep. Yep. Okay, and that gives it the raspy tone. And I use my jaw a lot more. You know, back in the day, you know, people would you know chuck 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 chuck. You know, and then I started, you know, with that rasp, I would get the front and the back end. So I would elongate the yelp a little bit more, more of a chop, 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 yeah. you know, and use your jaw a little more just by your jaw dropping a little more. Now, I use my hands a lot out of habit. You don't have to do that. But it also it makes it sound a little more realistic to a to a to a gobbler. Mm-hmm. So and in in the judging aspect of it it makes it sound a little bit more realistic too yeah. because you're varying you know the the angle of of your call kind of cups the sound a little bit has a little more body to the call <clears throat> but it also you know gives it a little more makes it more a little more direction variance mm-hmm. instead of you know facing from one spot like like you're moving a little bit yeah, like a turkey. Like a hen's moving a little. Yeah, bit. like a like a hen, like is moving around her head, looking yeah. around and calling at the same time. Yeah, and how I do it this call, like I said, I, I, just more of a jaw action. See, I'm barking it out more, more. Chop, 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 chop. 
and you hear the raspiness at the end of the call instead yeah. of the clear note. It's got that. that So you're barking the call out a little bit more, I guess you would say, and getting that raspy tone at the end of the call. I, I kind of noticed, uh, you know, growing up learning turkey calling, like I always heard people talk about how whenever you're calling, it's like you're saying yawk or talk as you're mm-hmm. calling. But listening to you, it almost kind of sounds like listening through this right now, it almost sounds like you're kind of saying burp, 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 burp is what that call is saying to me. Is that what you're doing yeah. or – well, my mind is more like a chop, 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 chop. Okay. In my mind, you know, okay. what I mean? chop, chop, chop. And actually, my jaw is doing that. It's, you know, it's chop, 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 mm-hmm. chop. So it and, and it, it you know it varies a little bit with different guys. I mean, some people their mouth is a little different, mm-hmm. their tongue pressure is a little different, and the tongue pressure you you definitely want to get that front end to it. So you're definitely giving a little bit of tongue pressure to get that. And dropping your tongue off it. Yeah. And like barking that. it out. Okay. Okay. Now, with your mouth calls, I mean, obviously, there's a plethora of boxes and slates that everybody uses. Uh-huh. And I want to know for selfish reasons myself, but what would you say is kind of your go-to mouth call majority of the time? What call do I make? Yeah, the, or the split read. Like, what what read or what mouth call are you using majority of the time? Like, I know there's like your that's our HS two point five. Okay. The only thing I add this fourth read to it to give it a little more body. Okay. Okay, but it's our it's our two and a half cutter style call. Okay. It's a, it's a cutter call. And you okay. had a, you had a hand in helping to develop that too. Yes, that's a call I developed. Actually, the cutter style call I developed in nineteen eighty and. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Earl Groves wrote a book, Talking Tomfoolery 2000, <laughs> was a book that Earl Groves wrote. He was a he was a great guy, old timer from Alabama, mm-hmm. and he talks about first time he had ever talked to Ben Lee, and the first time they ever saw a cut read call was the call that I showed Ben Sweet. that I developed, and that's when he named it the Cutter. Okay. And, and and to this day, I mean, still, that's the call, my go-to call all the time. I mean, there's calls now that got a V cut or, you know, a ghost cut where the, that V is actually torn out. Uh, and they all sound raspy. They all got that raspy tone. And mm-hmm. there again, that's up to the individual. So the guy's into the calling contest, you know, I, there's this, the cutter, the cut that I have. And then also people make a slice off the side of that. And, you know, you, you need to try all these calls and see what yeah. works best in your individual mouth, in your yeah. particular mouth. Yeah, and, definitely. And go from there. You know, some people, you know, might like a cutter better. Some people might like a V cut better. It mm-hmm. sounds better in their 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 tone, or a ghost cut where it's torn out. You know, that V's torn out, or that little slice on the side. But it's generally it's going to be a cut somewhere on that top read because that's what gives it the more realistic raspy tone. Give uh tell listeners again one more time what call that is that you like majority of the time. HS two point five. I'm gonna have to pick me up a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I mean, heck, I could put it in my mouth and I might not be able to use it as well as what you do and switch to something different. 
Yeah, most people started off with a solid read, read it call back yeah. in the day, you know, a single or a double or a triple read solid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that, that it gave a clear yelp. It'd be more like a yuck, 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 you know, instead of a chop, And that the cut read gives it that rasp, which to me, most turkeys you hear do have a raspy tone quality in their voice when they're really cranking out them yelps and turkeys themselves, their voices change during the course of a call. Sometimes when they're calling soft, you know, you know, a little high squeaky sound. Mm -hmm. And then when they really get belting out those yelps, it's just, (laughs) I guess raspy as that. So, you know, they the variety of different calls that you do, do make the difference. For the listeners out there, you know, We've got a couple folks that, you know, they're probably veteran turkey hunters. They've been doing this a long time and we've got some newbies. So what mm-hmm. would, what would you say in your mind are probably, whether it's three or four, what are the three to four key calls to know and master with a mouth call? You know, let's, let's put box calls and slates aside because, you know, I feel like a lot of people can get a hand on those pretty quick, but when it comes to the mouth call, what would you say those super important, crucial ones are to know and master? A yelp, a cut, a cluck, and a purr. Those are probably the most four calls that you would really and and to master them on a mouth call is is you know it, the purring sound. By far is the hardest out of any of those, but which are easier to do on friction calls. Yeah. So I mean, but on a mouth call, that's that's what I use. And and the Yelps have a different variance. You have Mm -hmm. regular old hen assembly Yelps or or mating Yelps or tree Yelps, little soft little tree calls or or little feeding Yelps. So you know when turkeys are kind of flocked together and there's feeding along, you hear them yelp a little bit here and there, real soft with some little purrs and stuff like that in there. And and those are all different variants of the same call. Yeah. Just how much airflow and how much pressure you're putting on the call. Give us a couple examples of each of those four. Okay. Basic Yelps, like I did. I always throw a few clucks in there in the middle of it and and yelp or kind of just break it off. Some basic yelps, some cuts, very sharp, aggressive cutting sound. And a cut is it's just what it sounds like. It's a cut. You know, it's not a yelp. It's not a cluck. It's a sharp, aggressive, very broken rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, real aggressive. Gobblers are so are very territorial, but, but people don't realize hens are also very territorial. Certain boss hens that run with that boss gobbler, certain hens that she's uh, the dominant bird in that particular pecking order, establish yeah. her pecking order. And this cutting sound is a, when she really gets aggressive, she really can tear it up. And you, I don't care how good you are in a mouth call. I mean, you're going to run out of air where she's not going to run out of air. Oh yeah. So, but, but this is a cutting sound. So it's that sharp cuts that, you know, and throwing a few yelps in there and, and 
no rhythm to it. It's just a very broken rhythm. What What are each of these telling other turkeys? Or, you know, what's that turkey saying? I mean, obviously, like, with the Yelp, you know, what's the primary means of communication with each of these as, as well? Yelp is probably the... the the biggest one, you know, mm-hmm. when a turkey's yelping, she's letting other turkeys know she's there. Or if she's by herself, she's looking for other, you know, companionship because they are a social, you know, creature. The bird, I mean, they, they very seldom, they live alone. Yeah. So they do like the camaraderie and they do like the companionship. And for a yelp, you know, uh, when you're turkey hunting, you know, a gobbler hears that he knows there's a hen over there. So he's going to come check it out. And that cutting sound is a real aggressive, you know, sh- show of dominance. You know, when you got five, six, seven, eight hens in a bunch, you know, you hear one of them start cutting, you know, she's generally the most dominant bird of the bunch. Yeah. Okay. Now, if she hears cutting somewhere else, sometimes she's going to go and investigate and kind of show her butt a little bit. And, you know, they do scuffle and carry on. Yeah. And, you know, that whole flock of four or five hens and one gobbler going to head her way. And that old gobbler, he's, just following that batch along and you get a crack at them that way. So once you start cutting, it's pretty much a nonstop scenario because if you were to quit, you know, those hens kind of settle back down and just go back and doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to keep it up once you start it because oh, she'll yeah. get more aggressive and try to check it out. And then, you know, she's going to come in to see what's going on. And then that's how you get a crack at them that way. That's one of my and favorite then, things to do is, is to piss another hen off. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know, sometimes that'll fire up the whole woods. Oh, yeah. Your turkey hunt. Everything's quiet. And everything. next thing you know, you're cutting and carrying on. Next thing you know, you get a hen fired up. Next thing you know, you hear two or three different birds gobbling off in a distance. The whole world wakes up at that yes. particular point. Yes. And it's a really aggressive call. And it's like it. There's been times I've been sitting there turkey hunting throughout the day nothing happening you've tried this and that and then all of a sudden okay i'm gonna tear it up for about two or three minutes just bah, 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 bah. even get a box bah, 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 bah. next thing you know you hear a turkey gobble off in the distance you hear another one gobble you hear hens getting fired up so it you know it kind of wakens everything up and gets kicks like kicking a, something in the ribs and getting it moving yes so good now another call that i do a lot and and, and you know i pretty familiar with my what i love to do is a soft little soft little stuff the soft little yelps and purrs and clucks and this is kind of a social thing where you got you know you got hens together and you know that gobblers may be with her or gobblers that are coming in you know he hears that so he feels that there's you know it's it really settles him down it's a comfort zone for him to come into yeah and these soft little purrs and yelps And that's, that's a call that, you know, I use a lot in close quarters Yeah. because it, you know, turkeys that are hung up and you, you might've thrown the kitchen sink and that didn't work. And that turkey's still out there and giving that soft little seductive stuff. And hopefully that makes them close the deal, close the distance. How do you purr? Because I have done a really good job at becoming mm-hmm. effective at all the other ones. But purring, I can't do it to save my life. So for listeners out there that are in that same boat, okay. how do you pur- teach them? And and the best way to teach somebody how to purr is 
you got to be able to really roll your throat. Yeah. And just like you're gargling. And a lot of people do it. Some people can't, though. So you can roll your lips. People can roll their lips like that and it work. But out of all the calls, you know, purring is probably the most difficult call to master mm-hmm. out of all on a diaphragm. Very easy to do on a slate call. Oh, yeah. Glass call. But on a mouth call, it's probably the most difficult out of any call to make because of that. And what I do is <clears throat> I roll my throat. And then I just, you know, kind of open my lip or close my lip or increase and decrease the tongue pressure I do have on it. Put it in my mouth. So I'm opening my mouth. Use my lips kind of open and close my lips a little bit to change the pitch and change the tone. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get that down one of these days. I've been trying and trying, and I've kind of resorted to right now that somehow I've been able to, I don't know how I've done it, but you know how uh, people can roll their R's, especially with like the yep. uh, Spanish language. Somehow I've been able to figure out how to still keep pressure on the reed and do that same thing. And it doesn't sound near as good as that, but it's, it's worked occasionally for me and it's, it's okay, but I know it's not the greatest sounding thing. Yeah. I don't know. And, how. and be honest with you, you know, that was my bread and butter call in my, during a day in my turkey call, call yeah, competition. I've, I've been you know, a lot of people, you know, could sound real similar in their yelps and their clucks and everything else. But yeah. You know, that's sometimes that kind of set me apart and why I did so well in competition was my ability to purr. A lot of guys, I mean, they sound just as good or better on so many different calls, maybe. But then when it came to purr, and you know, they couldn't do it. That's what separated you from the rest of the pack. Yeah, that's what separated me back in the day. <laughs> so the next thing I want to ask, you know, back when you were doing your competitive calling, how are you able to balance the competitive side and still enjoying the hunting side? You know, like you're just eating, sleeping, breathing, turkey calling and turkeys. Like, how are you able to, I guess, not get burned out is the best way to put it. Well, be honest with you. The competition calling was one thing mm-hmm. and the hunting was another. And it all led to the final like climatic part of the year would be the hunts once the hunt started you know competitions were generally throughout the year you know building up to the hunting season yeah and no no matter where i went no matter who you 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 know the other competition callers and everything it all boiled down to turkey hunting in general mm-hmm. it all boiled down to that that that's what it was all about you know you became good at what you did in the calling aspect of it but the best and final thing was you know to be able to go turkey hunting yes so that's that was like the coup de gras i guess you would say was yeah. the actual once you got to hunting season yeah and, you know and, and it and it kept you year round it kept you focused on you know your calling ability to when you did actually get out there and hunt 
and then also made you good when you actually got out there and, you know, got involved in competition. So it, it's just like the deer hunters. I mean, you know, the, the, some people wish they could deer hunt year round, you know, <laughs> where turkey calling, you, you know, once the season goes out at the end of May, about two or three days later, it's kind of really a, a, a letdown, you know, okay, it's now it's over till, till March again. Yeah. You know, we're calling, calling kept it going you know mm-hmm. being involved in competition calling it kept that that atmosphere or that 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 hype about you know turkey hunting throughout the year in, well, the, in the off seasons and, I, and i'm sure your passion had a little something to do with it too to keep you going throughout the year as well oh yeah it did big time <laughs> well paul I, I know we're running out of time here and so kind of give the listeners that last piece of advice, if you will, kind of on if they're looking at competitive tur- turkey calling and just any last piece, general advice when it comes to turkey hunting, man. Okay. The biggest thing, get out there in the woods and listen to turkeys. Listen to the actual sounds of wild turkeys. Try to do that as much as you possibly can. Take those sounds and try to mimic them as best you can. Mm-hmm. Try to mimic the sounds that that turkey's making. And, and and generally what happens is, you know, I'll pick out, you know, one particular hen maybe that I've always tried to mimic, you know, until you get out there and there's another hen that, okay, she might have done something a little bit different. And then you try to mimic that yeah. and you or, or combine the two things. But try to mimic the sounds of the wild turkey. Make sure you get yourself a routine mm-hmm. and make sure you're confident and comfortable with the calls that you're using, you know. That's the biggest thing, you know, guys, they get to the point where, okay, this call is really, really hard to use. And unless you can master it, don't use that call. Yeah. Use something that you're a little bit more comfortable with. But always develop that a routine, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sequences that you do, a couple series of yelps, the pauses in between, you know, throwing a few clucks in there along what you do. You develop a routine. And and I use that through whether I was in competition or whether I was turkey hunting itself. I always use the same kind of routine that I would do. And the more you do it, the more repetitious, the easier it becomes. And that's the biggest thing. Make it comfortable and easy until it's, until it's second nature. Because when the lights are on and you're looking out in the crowd and you see, you know, 500 people or whatever a lot of things change. Your mouth dries up like you could spit cotton. Yeah. You know, you put a call in your mouth and you go to call and it just, <laughs> so the more comfortable and confident that you could become, it eliminates those jitters. Mm-hmm. It really does. Man, this is all great advice, you know, especially for those that are looking to do, get into the calling like that. And then just even for all of us turkey hunters, man, I mean, like this is all good stuff. And I mean, especially as a turkey hunter, I think that's really key. Like what you just said is, listening to the birds. Don't listen Listen to other hunters. Yeah, don't listen to hunters. Don't listen to callers and let that be your sole focus of trying to repeat what they're saying. It's repeat what the birds are doing. It's no better teacher than the actual wild turkey. No better teacher out there to teach you what you need to know. Thousand percent true. Well, Paul, I know we're out of time here, so just want to thank you again for taking the time to hop on the podcast with us. If somebody wants to follow you on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatnot, tell them real quick where they can find you. Uh, find me. I, I got a, I've got a page, you know, you know, Paul Butsky, just look me up, Paul Butsky. And I got actually two different pages and uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can find me through gsmoutdoors.com. You can find me um, and, you know, 
on, on stand. Yeah. All the videos we've been doing, all the calling yeah. tips and everything, they've been great. People have been loving it. And I'll be sure to drop all your stuff down in the description below for the podcast. So, Paul, man, thanks again for taking the time to hop on the podcast with me today. Well, I love being, I love being around you. I love, I love the camaraderie. I love uh, talking to you. So we just got to get out there in the field. I was about to again. say, we're, we're going to have to get out in the turkey woods, man. <laughs> no doubt, buddy. 